It's good to be back with you. It's, it's been a while since I've seen you. Some of you may not know me because I've been gone for a couple months. My name is Blake Jennings. I'm the teaching pastor here at Southwood. I was graciously granted a two-month sabbatical by our elders. I had not been on a sabbatical for the 12 years that I've been here at Grace, and so I had time to to read and write and pray and reflect, and it has been incredible. I, it was better than I ever imagined this sabbatical could be. So I'm really grateful to the elders and to all of you for giving me that time and that space. One of the things that I got to do, I got to go with Chris McGuffey here at Grace and Brian Fisher, our senior pastor, over to Turkey for a little while to check out that country where you may not know this, but modern day Turkey is actually where a lot of your New Testament was either written or sent to. A lot of a lot of the Bible happened in modern-day Turkey. And so we visited a lot of those sites like Ephesus and, and Pergamum. And uh, this is Laodicea and then Constantinople or, or what they now call Istanbul. And just a little traveler's tip. If you happen to get to visit a mosque in Istanbul, you should not wear shorts or they will make you cover up with a dress like our senior pastor found out. They take that very seriously over there. Turkey was amazing. It was beautiful. Most mornings we woke up and had breakfast on the patio of our hotel looking up at Hagia Sophia, a church built 1,500 years ago. Really an amazing country. I'll be sharing a lot more of it with you this fall because we'll be in the book of Acts and especially the second half of the book of Acts primarily happened in modern day Turkey. So I'm excited to share a lot of of what we learned and saw when we get there this fall. But this morning we're going to continue in the book of Proverbs and we're going to begin with a lie. A lie that that we've heard all of our lives. A lie that most of us have told to, to other people or or to our kids, or, or even to ourselves, a lie that we've tried to make ourselves believe. We're going to look at this lie because it's a particularly devastating lie, because it can be used to excuse and dismiss a lot of really painful and awful behavior. That lie that you've heard since you were a kid is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Really? Then why is it that I can't remember any of the bruises or cuts I got as a kid from sticks or stones. I grew up in the Piney Woods just north of Houston with a whole bunch of other boys in our neighborhood and and our most frequent game to play when we were young was to hit each other with sticks and pine cones. First boy to bleed loses. We we played that game all the time, but I don't remember any of those little cuts or, or bruises because they healed quickly. They, they went away. But what I do remember is the nicknames that I was called in elementary school. And I remember the jokes that were told about me. And I remember the unkind words. Those have stuck with me because words cut much deeper they cut down deep into your soul. They, they stick in your psyche so that you carry those harmful, painful words around you with you for the rest of your life. Why is it that there are so many of us adults who are still today weighed down by fears and insecurities and shame because of something careless that a parent or teacher said decades ago? I've talked to men who are still burdened by insecurity because of something unkind their dad said to them 40 years ago. 
I've talked to women who, who can't look in a mirror without feeling pain because of a joke that was told about them when they were in junior high. I've counseled married couples whose marriages are devastated because of something stupid someone said in the heat of the moment that they can't take back. Words are incredibly powerful, either for good or for harm. And that's a common theme that you see in the Bible. From beginning to end, the Bible has a lot to say about the power of words. Right from the beginning, think about Genesis chapter 1. How did God create the universe? Well, not with deeds, not with action, not with tools, not with raw materials, but with words. Let there be light. And there was. Words spun all that exists into existence. Words have power to give life, but they also have power to take life away. You see that in Proverbs. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words can, can give life to other people, lift them up, encourage them, sustain them, but our words can also tear them down and destroy them. James picks that up in the New Testament and echoes that idea. He says that the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Pretty strong words about the tongue. Now in both Proverbs and James, your tongue is a metaphor for your speech. And in the ancient world, very few people could write. It was actually very expensive to have tools to write with. So, so the biblical authors could talk about communication simply by talking about our speech. But today in our world, we have to broaden it because this is about words in general, not just words you speak, but words you type, words you text, words you email, words you post on Facebook. That's actually where we probably end up hurting the most people with some of the things that we say. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is, is how is it that we use our words, whether spoken or written, in a way that blesses people instead of curses them. Now, that's an important topic because we speak so many words in the course of a day. Scientific American found that the average American, whether a man or a woman, speaks about 16,000 words a day. 16,000 words. That means you get 16,000 chances to hurt people every day. Words are something that, that we speak and type all day long, and yet they can do such harm. And so this morning, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs to try to discover how, how can we bring life instead of death with our words. And, and from the book of Proverbs, what I want to do for you is I want to give you four rules that will help you to avoid words that wound other people. So four simple rules that if you will apply them consistently in your life, they, they will help you to, to bless people with your words, whether spoken or typed, rather than, than harm them. So let's jump right in. Let's look at these four rules to help us avoid words that wound. The first rule is be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Now, I'm not a big hunter. I've only hunted a few times 
and my life. It's not really my cup of tea because guns, frankly, they make me nervous. Not because I have any ideological problem with them, but here's this thing that if you use it wrong, it could maim or kill someone. So I don't hunt a lot, but what I do like is the times that I've gone hunting, I've gotten to go with people who really know what they're doing. Like Brad Evans, our congregational care pastor over at Anderson, he has been hunting his whole life. He grew up on a farm hunting. He has shot more guns than I could possibly count. I love when I have gone hunting with Brad to see how, how careful and deliberate he is around a gun, even though he shoots them all the time. We're out hunting. We're out hunting turkeys one time, and, and these turkeys came into our field of view, and Brad was, was so careful and, and so deliberate. He made sure that, that everything was safe. He made sure that there was no one around that could get harm. He double-checked the, the range to the target. He raised the gun slowly. He checked everything out. He aimed carefully, squeezed the, the trigger slowly. He was so careful with that, that gun because he knew it could do such harm if it was misused. What bothers me is that while we are so careful when we use guns, we are so careless when we use words. Even though words can do every bit as much damage as any gun. We're reckless with them. We're quick to speak them. We're quick to type them. We're just spouting off words rashly. And when we speak rashly, when we type rashly, we can do great harm. You see that theme frequently in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. What, what they're trying to get us to understand in, in this proverb, what Solomon wants us to understand is that when you speak quickly or type quickly, you cannot help but do harm. The result will end up being sin. If you speak or type rashly, you're going to say something or send something that you can't get back and that ends up hurting someone else. It makes you actually worse than a fool when you speak or, or send or type something rashly. You see that again in Proverbs eighteen thirteen: He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. We've all broken this rule. We've all failed at this. We've failed to stop and really listen to the other person and make sure that we understand what they're saying and feeling. We just spout something off. We just speak something out there into the universe that we really want back because it ends up hurting them. I did that a lot when I was newly married because marriage was, it was a new thing and I'm sitting down talking to Julie and we guys, when we're just talking, we tend to, to excuse things even though they hurt us. We shouldn't do that. But when you're married, things don't just get excused. You get to see quickly the effect of your words. And so Julie would, would say something and something witty would come to my mind and I would, well, I just gotta share that right now. That's exciting. And so I would say it without thinking about it and then I would see her weep and I'd think, why did I not just keep my mouth shut? And it has led me to the conclusion that my single greatest piece of advice for you engaged or dating men. Here it is, single most important piece of advice. If you're a man who is engaged or married, when you are talking to your significant other and she says something that suddenly makes you want to say something funny or say something witty or or maybe give her advice about something she needs to do or perhaps defend yourself because you feel a little bit hurt, I want to encourage you to just shut your trap for a minute. In your first couple years of marriage, you do not ever need to speak quickly. Just shut your mouth, listen, think about what you're about to say, and it will do incredible good to your marriage. You will not regret the things you chose not to say in that first year. 
So slow it down. Be slow to speak so that you give yourself time to pray. Lord, give me wisdom. Is, Is this wise to say? And so that you give yourself time to really listen deeply to the other person. Do you understand what they're saying? Do you understand how they feel, what they're trying to communicate? You you need time so that you can think about yourself. What am I feeling at this moment, and is it even legitimate? Before I try to defend this emotion in me, let me figure out if this emotion is even righteous. Have you given yourself time to think about the effect your words will have? Because once you speak them out there into the air, they're gone. When you speak, it's like shooting a gun. You can never get that bullet back. It's going to do whatever those words are going to do, and you're going to be a passive spectator as you watch the damage that your words have caused. So have you taken time to think through, what will the effect of my words be? When you speak quickly, when you type and send quickly, you set yourself up for hurting other people and really regretting what you said. And so just be slow. Slow it down. Take time to pray, to think, to meditate, to to be careful about what you say. Take time to slow it down. And if you're in doubt, if, if you take a moment and you think, I don't know whether I should say this or not, if in doubt, just shut your mouth. You don't need to say it. Just wait a little while. Give time for the Lord to speak to you and to guide you to what you should say. Because words have great power, either for great good or for great harm. So rule number one from the book of Proverbs, if you want to avoid words that wound other people, be slow to speak, slow to send something that you've written. I can't count the number of times when I have written an email in the heat of a moment, maybe because I'm, I'm caught up either excited about something or more often I'm angry about something, and I write an email and then uh, God speaks to me and says, Blake, just hit save, and, and I save it and I go to bed. And I wake up the next morning refreshed, seeing the world clearly again. I walk over to my computer and I hit delete and I thank God that I did not send that email the other day. My life is measurably better today because I deleted those emails. So be slow to speak. Take time to think and pray and consider your words because they're dangerous. Okay, so that's the first rule. Be slow to speak. You give yourself time to think about your words, and by giving yourself time, you now have the opportunity to ask yourself some questions about these words that you feel compelled to speak or to send. And so uh, three questions. That's the other rules that I'm going to give you here from Proverbs. So rule number two, these words that you feel like you should speak or should send, ask yourself, are they true? Is it true what I feel compelled to say or to sin? Proverbs 6, 12, a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. Now we hear the word perverse and we think something in English that doesn't fit in Hebrew. In Hebrew, perverse just means false. There's a true way, a straight way. That's speaking truth. Perverse means you you deviate from that. So the person with a perverse mouth is a liar. And this proverb's helpful because it says that the person who is a liar is a worthless person, a wicked person. That, that's something we need to hear because we live in a culture that by and large thinks that lying is really no big deal. Everybody does it. Lying is, is just what you do to make it through the day. It's not like murder or racism or something horrible. We dismiss the significance of lying. And so God reminds us, 
No, lying is about as bad as it gets. Lying, speaking, writing something that is not true, it makes you worthless and, and wicked. Here, I, I'll, I'll share with you Proverbs chapter six. This is an interesting one. Uh, God says that there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven things which are an abomination to him. The A word, the big word, abomination. Look at this list. Haughty eyes, that's pridefulness in your life. A lying tongue, so there's lying, number one. Hands that shed innocent blood, there's murder. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. So notice, uh, sexual immorality, not in the list at all. Murder's in there once, lying's in there twice. It's two-sevenths of what God considers an abomination. It's a really big deal to God. Why? Because God is, at the core of his nature, always true That's an essential aspect of your God. He only ever speaks the truth. He never lies. He never deceives. He never misleads. God is a God of absolute truth, and so it is essential to him that his children are also people of absolute truth. So God takes the truthfulness of our speech very seriously. It is never, ever okay to lie or deceive or exaggerate. None of that's okay. So the first thing you ask about what you feel compelled to speak or to type is, is it true? If not, got no business sharing it. Second question that you ask yourself, is it beneficial? So it, it may be true. There's lots of things that you could say or could type that are true but are not beneficial. They're not helpful to the person that you're sending that speech or that, that writing to. And so let's, let's think about this for a moment. What are, what are some examples of some things you might say or type that are true but are not beneficial? This is not an exhaustive list. I'll just walk you through a few of these unhelpful types of speech that Proverbs talks about. First of all, bragging. Bragging is praising yourself and, and your accomplishments in front of other people, lifting them up. Now, unless you are writing your resume or in a job interview, you, you got no business bragging about yourself. Proverbs is really quite clear about that. It tells us in sixteen eighteen, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. What God is saying is that when you lift yourself up, when you brag about yourself, you are preparing yourself for pain. you're lifting yourself up. Just think about the mental image here. Pride, biblically, it means to lift yourself up. So so you are using words that lift yourself up high. Well, when you fall, now you are high, so it's going to hurt more. That's the idea. When you lift yourself up, it just hurts more when you fall, which you will because you're human. So pride, it ends up hurting you and dishonoring God because he's the one who gave you the gifts and the abilities to begin with. Pride, it ends up damaging your life, hurting your life. So instead of bragging about yourself, Proverbs 27 tells us, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. And so very practically speaking, when you get ready to say something or type something, you you should ask yourself, not only is this true, but am I saying this thing or am I writing this thing to make myself look good? Is that the motive down here deep in my heart? Is that really what's going on here? There's been lots of things that I have not said or not posted because I've realized at the last moment, man, this is ugly. It's about me trying to make me look good. What I regret is the time I didn't stop. Those times when I said it or spoke it or or wrote it and then a few seconds later was convicted by God that, oh man, that's really awful what I just did. That was really prideful. 
Okay, so first, look for, look for bragging. Bragging should not be, even if it's true stuff about you, you still should not go down that form of speech. Second thing to look out for, complaining. Proverbs 21.9, it is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now, half of you are going to be angry at me for sharing that particular proverb. Let me be very clear right from the beginning, this is not just about women. Who wrote the book of Proverbs? Solomon, and he wrote it to his son. And so his son would marry a woman. So he writes it from that perspective. But if he was writing to a daughter, this would be about men because husbands can complain as much as wives. And that's what that word contentious means. It means one who complains, one who gripes. What Solomon wants us to understand from this proverb is that complaining, griping, bickering, whining, it is torture to listen to. It would be more comfortable for you to live on the corner of your roof, sitting up there on the shingles in the heat of a Texas summer day than to be inside the house in air conditioning listening to someone whine. And, and I can say with absolute certainty that is completely true. How do I know? Because I have two five-year-olds and they are fluent in complaining. They have it down to an absolute Art. They can push all of my buttons. I get to six o'clock every day and I have absolutely had enough of the complaining and I'm about to lose my mind and all of a sudden God reminds me I'm just as bad as them. I'm just as bad as them at complaining. I'm just more sophisticated. I disguise my complaints as a prayer request I want to share with you or as something that happened at work today that I need to share with Julie. I'm just as bad at complaining. There's no place for that in our lives. No place for complaining, griping, arguing that just harms other people and us. Okay, so no bragging, no complaining. Third, no sarcasm. No sarcasm. Proverbs 3.34. God is scornful to arrogant scoffers, yet he shows favor to the humble. To scoff is to mock someone. To cut them down so that you feel better about yourself. Um, this idea of mocking people, of sarcastic language, for a lot of us, it feels like no big deal. Maybe you're sitting around with the other guys and and you're ribbing on each other and you're making jokes about each other and everybody's laughing. It's so fun. Everybody's having a great time, right? I guarantee you someone is going to go home hurt. Always. Someone's going to go home hurt. Someone's probably going to go home crying. Even though they were laughing when they were with you, they are now crying because they are so hurt by what you say because sarcasm always hurts people. It is never innocent. In fact, notice, look at the language. God, actually, in Hebrew, it says, God mocks those who mock. That's vengeance. God takes vengeance on those who are sarcastic towards other people or groups. He cuts them down because they cut others down. That's how seriously God takes sarcasm. So there's never a place for sarcasm in our lives. And then fourth, something that is true but never good, gossip. Proverbs 18, 8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. Whisperer, that's a gossip, someone who goes behind your back to spread slander about you. Uh, it tells us that, that words of gossip are like delicious morsels. It's, it's like something that's full of, of wonderful fat and sugar, and you just love it when it's in your mouth, but you regret it later. That, that's gossip. It tastes incredibly good. We all want to be in the know. 
We want to know what's going on. And we, when we're in the inside, we love to share it because it makes us feel important. So it feels good when the words are coming out of your mouth, but later it, it has become part of you and defiles you and changes you. In fact, when you gossip about someone, it's going to affect how you look at that person forever. That's what gossip does. So gossip is a lot. I like to think of it. It's like, it's like Cinnabon. You go in the mall and you smell Cinnabon from like the other side of the mall and you begin to crave it because it smells incredible and your mouth begins to water the closer that you get and, and you get up to the counter and it just looks so incredible and warm and gooey and so you buy one and you sit down and you begin to eat it and it's just amazing. It's like five minutes of heaven. No one ever regrets buying Cinnabon when they're eating it. Now, when you're eating it, it's amazing. It's not till that moment when you're done and you look down at your waist and you see the Cinnabon like right there. It's, it's now part of your body that you're never going to get rid of unless you go run a marathon. It's now part of you. You own it. That's gossip. It's incredibly good when you're enjoying it in the moment when it's in your mouth, but then it sinks down in the deeper parts of you and it becomes part of you and defiles you and affects your relationship with those people forever. Okay, so there's lots of things that you could say or send that are true but are not beneficial. And so you need to not say those things and not send those things. If they are bragging or complaining or sarcastic or gossip, you have no business saying it or sending it. Okay, so that's the second question we ask ourselves. First, is it true? Second, is it beneficial? Third question we ask ourselves, is it timely? So there's lots of things that are true and beneficial, but it's not the right time to say them. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 3, there is an appointed time for everything, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Sometimes you have just the right truthful word that would be a blessing to someone, but it's not the moment. The circumstances aren't right. Here's a, a humorous example. Matt shared it last week, Proverbs 27, 14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. You, you call your friend up at 3 a.m. and say, God loves you and I want to share a verse with you right now. That's not good. It's true and it's beneficial, but it's not timely. And so it ends up doing harm. Here's a more serious example. My wife and I went through infertility. We, we battled that for, for a long time. And and when uh, a pregnancy test would come back negative, uh, that was a very painful moment for both of us. Well, there was a lot of theology in that moment that I could share. Because I went to seminary. I spent four years studying theology. There's a lot of Bible. I've studied a lot of this in Greek and Hebrew. I had a lot of stuff that I could have shared with Julie about the sovereignty of God. I could have given her a whole sermon in that moment. It would be true and it would be beneficial, but it would not be timely. That's not the time. That's the moment to grieve. That's the moment to just remain silent and listen. There have been so many times that people in the midst of grief have come to my office. Maybe they're facing some crisis, and I've realized this is not the moment for a lecture. You don't need me to pull out my Bible and exegete for you. You just need me to say, I'm so sorry, that's horrible. Let me listen. And that's it. It's not the time. It's not the place. So there are going to be moments in your life where you have something true to say and something beneficial to say, but it's not the time. And you just need to hold on. You just need to wait. You need to wait for that opportune moment, for that, that blessed window that God will open. And now is the time to speak that word of, of confrontation or conviction or encouragement, whatever that word is. Matt shared this proverb with us last week, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. It's beautiful. 
when God brings together just the right moment for that, for that word for you to speak or that email for you to send, then it's a blessing. Okay, so as you think about what you speak and what you type, I want you to walk through these four rules from the book of Proverbs. First of all, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Take time to pray and think and meditate. Second, ask yourself, is it true? If not, you got no business sharing it. Third, ask, is it beneficial? Will it bless people or is it bragging or complaining, sarcastic or gossip? Fourth, ask, is it timely? Is this the moment to say or send this thing? And as you think about those four rules, I'm gonna ask for the men to go back and get communion ready get to celebrate communion this morning. That's a really good thing because if you think about this subject of wounding people with our words, let's just be honest with each other for a moment. Let's think about this for a moment. We are all going to fail at this, aren't we? Every single one of us is going to wound someone with our words. In fact, maybe it already happened. Sunday morning, you're trying to get the kids out the door. That's like danger zone for hurting one another with your words. You're going to say something that you're going to regret. So you, at some point soon, are going to say something that is going to wound someone else. And chances are really good that someone else is going to say something that is going to wound you. We're going to do that to each other all the time because we're human and we're sinful. That's why it's such incredibly good news that God offers us forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ. When Jesus hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, I want you to understand this, he took all of your sinful words and he placed them on his shoulders. It's all those horrible things you've said. All of the horrible things you will say in the future. He took all of those awful words, awful things, and he placed them on his shoulders and with his blood, he paid the price of all of our sinful words. He has cleansed us. He has brought forgiveness to sinners like us by dying for our words. And because Jesus died for our words, now we can be forgiven and we can forgive each other. That's a beautiful thing for Christians. We're gonna hurt each other with our words just like the world does. We're gonna do it. We're gonna be dumb with the stuff that we say or type. The great news is, is after we're dumb, we can offer and receive forgiveness. Because we know the God who forgives. That's the hope for Christian marriages. That's the hope for Christian families. That's the hope for Christian friends. You're gonna hurt each other with your words and as soon as you do, you can forgive because you've been forgiven by God above who sent his son Jesus to take all of our awful words on his shoulders and shed his blood to purify us so that we could be forgiven. So as the men come forward, as we get ready to to take communion, I want to encourage you to do two things with this time. Number one, I want you to spend some time in confession. I want you to think about times when you have spoken or typed something that that was not right, that was not true, not beneficial, not timely. I want you to ask God to forgive you. Second thing I want you to think about is, is who do you need to go ask forgiveness from? Is there someone that you have hurt with your words that this afternoon you need to go sit down with them and ask them to forgive you? So confess your your sins of speech and think about who you need to ask to forgive you. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we, we confess to you that our words are so often sinful. Our words wound other people and they dishonor you. Lord, we praise you that when you speak, it is absolutely different than that. We praise you that your word to us is Jesus Christ. That Jesus is your word in the flesh, full of grace and truth, come to save us from all of our sins. We praise you and thank you that there is forgiveness for sinners like us. We look to Jesus and we celebrate his death and his resurrection that has paid the price so that we could be forgiven and can spend eternity with you. We thank you, Lord, for him. And we thank you that that now that Jesus has died for us and risen from the dead and now that you have filled us with your Holy Spirit, we praise you that there is hope for us. Not just hope in heaven, but hope here on earth that we can learn to speak like Jesus spoke. Words of grace and truth, words that give life, words that bless other people. We pray, Lord, that this week that you would guide and direct us, that you would be quick to convict us when we speak or type or send something that is not true, that is not beneficial, that is not timely. I pray that you would lead us to be a people who gives life through what we say. I pray that we would believe the importance of words, that we would not take them lightly. Let us honor you with our mouths. Let us please you by the things that we say. We are grateful for your son. In his name we pray. Now if you'll stand, let's respond in worship.